Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Egg Today. Coming up on today's program, a new era for the Canary Seed Development Commission of Saskatchewan. At its annual general meeting in Regina last week, it was announced longtime executive director Kevin Hirsch was stepping down from the role at the end of January and that St. Gregor area farmer Darren Youngman will take over. We'll hear from Kevin Hirsch on his reaction to stepping down and as to uh, Darren Youngman taking over that new role. A small town and a rural municipality in south-central Saskatchewan have secured provincial funding to explore other ways of using coal as an energy source. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt will talk about that plan. An evaluation of GPS tracking devices conducted in rural Saskatchewan has shown not all are created equal. We'll hear from Farm Health Guardian CEO Rob Hannum on which ones they tested and which ones worked out well. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Special. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather, and Phil, it's mainly sunny here in the Yorkton area today, and our temperatures once again are above normal. Yeah, we're going to make a pretty healthy run at the freezing mark this afternoon. In fact, uh, most days this week, we may not hit it every day. In fact, three out of five, we won't hit it, but that means two out of five, we will or break it. So impressive warmth for this time of year. Even nighttime lows running well above normal as we stay above minus 10 the next few nights, which means the normal the lows the next few nights are above our normal high for this time of year. The wind is still up, though. Coming out of the morning, it's been fairly strong over the next few hours, and really by mid-afternoon, it's dropping off considerably down to the 15 to 25 range and then 10 to 20 overnight tonight as it shifts around into the northwest. Some very slightly cooler air drops in for tonight. As I mentioned, it's not cold by any means. It's still well above normal, but whereas today, we have a pretty good chance of zero. Tomorrow, we are a little short. We're at minus three. But with a very uh, gentle breeze, 10 to 20 out of the north to northeast, that's not a bad day at all. Little cloudiness rolls in for Tuesday night, watching for the chance for some flurries Wednesday night, almost to the point of calling it light snow, but I'm going to have to see more evidence that there could be a uh, full centimeter before I say that. So at this point, looking like not uh, going to get there for significant accumulation, so we'll just call that flurries for the afternoon, but a pretty good bet for at least some flurries. Chance of measurable snowfall at uh, 30%. Temperature at minus 4 after a low of minus 9 Tuesday night. Once we shake those flurries, there is some warmer air waiting in the wings that will build in for Thursday and Friday. We've got sunshine for Thursday with a high of minus one. Friday, we are at uh, two degrees on the plus side. And looking ahead through the week, there is some cooler air in place for next week. Still not seeing true cold, but at least trending back toward normal for the weekend into the holidays for the uh, start of next week. Temperatures at least closer to average our chance of hitting zero pretty low next week but still what's missing from our forecast is really any significant snowfall that's phil spivak from precision weather 
Temperatures around the region this hour, the Paw and Dauphin are at minus 5 degrees, Swan River minus 4, Brandon minus 10, Show Lake Russell minus 9, Roblin minus 7. Regina is at minus 5 degrees, Saskatoon and Indian Head minus 6, Hudson Bay, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 3, Broadview, Mooseman minus 4. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a south wind at 21 gusting to 35 kilometers an hour. 72% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 5 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 12 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of plus 1 degree and we dropped to a low of minus 14 degrees. There was a trace of precipitation that fell in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 11 degrees. The normal low is minus 22 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.50 this morning and it will set at 4.43 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Morden at plus 2 degrees. The cold spot was Gillum at minus 23 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Moose Jaw at plus 3 degrees. The cold spot was Stony Rapids at minus 25 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. At its annual general meeting in Regina last week, it was announced longtime executive director Kevin Hirsch was stepping down from the role at the end of January, and that St. Gregor area farmer Darren Youngman will take over. Youngman stepped down as chair of the commission to become executive director with support from the board. David Nobbs was elected the new chair. Hirsch reflected on his 15-plus years leading the organization. Well, I was one of the founding directors of the Canary Sea Development Commission when it was put into place in 2006. And for a while it was managed by the folks with SAS Canola, but uh, when that ended, uh, I became uh, applied for and became uh, executive director and Adele Bittner of Agribus Communications became general manager and we've been we're, we're not exactly sure we think it's about 15 years now that we've served in that role and uh, Adele will stay on and help the Canary Seed Commission uh, on the whole human food use of Alpiste day uh, dehulled canary seed for the human food market I've uh, just I've been here you know 15 years it's time to work on a few other things including with uh, Harvard Media and it's always good to have someone new step into the role and 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 take a look at it from a, a fresh point of view and the chair the the producer that has served as the chair of the Canary Seed Commission uh, for the past number of years, Darren Youngman is stepping down as a director and will be assuming the role of a executive director. So I'll stay on and help with the transition to the end of January, and then it'll be uh, uh, Darren Youngman's uh, organization to uh, to work for. He believes Youngman will do a great job. 
Well, everybody brings a, a different management style, but uh, Darren uh, is a, grows a lot of canary seed and does a really good job growing it up in that St. Gregor area. And so he really comes at it from a producer's point of view, from the, the agronomics and varieties, has been really engaged in working to the human food market and has, has kicked around the board for long enough that he knows all of the ins and outs and, and knows all of the people that the board works with in, in academia and research. So he's, a, he's an excellent person to uh, take on this role because he, he knows all the players and is passionate about it. So looking for good things from, from Darren Youngman in the years to come. Hirsch says a number of items really stand out to him during his time as executive director. Well, the organization was formed believing that we could quite easily get human food approval for canary seed. And as it turned out, it took many years and a lot of dollars, both grower dollars and government dollars, to get human food approval in Canada and grass status from the USDA. So that was a long, long battle, far longer than we thought, and the, the battle continues to actually get it into the, the food industry in a meaningful way. But some other milestones that I think the, the Canary Seed Commission can be proud of is that we got Canary Seed recognized as an official grain, so we have licensing and bonding protection when we sell our canary seed to a buyer, if that buyer goes broke, we know that we've got protection to get paid. So I think that was very useful. And it was very gratifying to see a, a year ago that growers realized that the commission to be viable was going to need a little bit of extra money and uh, unanimously agreed, uh, the ones attending the annual meeting, to raise the levy from $1.75 a ton to two fifty a ton, $2.50 a ton, which gives the commission resources to continue to invest in market development and especially research. And for his part, Darren Youngman says he's looking forward to his new role as executive director and will do his best to advance Canary Seed. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. GX94, AgriView. Canadian canola and wheat carryout for the 2023-24 marketing year will likely end up above earlier projections, according to the latest outlook for principal field crops from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, released Friday. The usage and ending stocks adjustments account for updated production estimates released by Statistics Canada earlier in the month, with canola production up by nearly a million metric tons from earlier estimates at 18.328 million tons. Canola ending stocks for 2023-24 were raised to 1.45 million metric tons from 1 million in November. That compares with the 1.506 million metric ton carryout reported the previous year. 
projected wheat ending stocks were only up by 350,000 metric tons from November at 3.950 million tons, despite a 2 million ton increase in production to 31.954 million tons. Wheat exports for the marketing year are now forecast at 23.2 million metric tons from 21.3 million in November and 25.666 million a year ago. Other highlights of the report included a 200,000 metric ton increase in the barley carryout to 750,000 metric tons. P ending stocks are forecast to be much more comfortable than earlier estimates, now at 570,000 metric tons from 275,000 tons. However, the projected lentil carryout was cut in half to only 50,000 metric tons. CN and CPKC Rail supplied a combined 95% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 19, a modest increase from the 94% order fulfillment performance seen the previous week. The improvement in performance reflects improved performance for CN and a decline in performance for CPKC. In supplying 98% of cars ordered by shippers in week 19, CN saw performance improve notably from the 89% order of fulfillment performance they posted in week 18. CN performance returns above the 90% performance threshold for the third time in the last four weeks after falling below that threshold the previous week. CPKC performance declined from the prior week with the railway supplying 93% of shipper orders in week 19, a decline from the 98% order fulfillment performance posted the previous week. CPKC performance remains above the 90% threshold for the eighth consecutive week. Oil and natural gas giant BP is joining four of the world's five largest container shipping companies in halting traffic through the Red Sea because of the risk of attack from Yemen's Houthi rebels. Both oil and European natural gas prices rose partly over market nerves about attacks by the Iranian-backed Houthis, who confirmed two new attacks today. About 10% of the world's trade passes through the narrow waterway that separates Yemen from East Africa and leads north to the Red Sea and Suez Canal. Ships will now have to go around the Cape of Good Hope at the bottom of Africa, adding days to voyages. Canada's proposed grocery code of conduct will usher in a new era of fairness and transparency and stabilize grower incomes. That's according to the Fruit and Vegetable Growers of Canada. They say it isn't expected to increase costs to consumers. The code has run into headwinds in recent days as two of Canada's largest grocers expressed reluctance to sign on to it. Loblaw Executive Chair Galen Weston told the Standing Agriculture Committee the code as currently written would cause higher prices and Walmart Canada Chief Executive Officer Gonzalo Gabera expressed similar sentiments. Weston said Loblaw takes issue with clauses that govern written contracts with suppliers, whether retailers can charge suppliers fees when orders aren't fulfilled, and others. However, Michael Medline, CEO of Empire Company Limited, which owns Sobeys, supports the code. The governor in council has extended Doug Chorney's appointment as chief commissioner of the Canadian Grain Commission until April 30, 2024. 
This extension will provide the Government of Canada the time to complete the open, transparent and merit-based selection process that was launched earlier in 2023 to fill the position. Chorney has agreed to continue in the role of Chief Commissioner during this process. The Government of Canada says it's committed to using selection processes to fill the Governor-in-Council positions across the country, including for appointments and reappointments. And SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg Today. And yes, it is free. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after this. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny and minus 5 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. A small town and a rural municipality in south-central Saskatchewan have secured provincial funding to explore other ways of using coal as an energy source. This month, the Saskatchewan government announced $550,000 for the town of Coronac and the RM of Hart Butte for a feasibility study and a pilot project with Vidir Energy. Saskatchewan Agriculture Minister David Merritt says the money will also help maintain jobs in that region. A lot of the guys that work at the mine are also young farmers as well, both ways. So it just gives them an opportunity to stay there, gives them another source of income. But uh, there's a lot of family operations down there. Uh, you know, ever since the mine really started, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of family members that, that work down there that also farmed as well. So it really helps that. But if this process works, it will have an ag in- impact too uh, as far as what the at what coal could be used for in the ag sector as well. But for the whole community, it's important. You know, I think the mayor of Cornac said that if the mine uh, was to shut down, two-thirds of their town uh, is uh, gone. So how does that impact business for, for everybody? And I think it's important for us as a province, and we've said that, that we'd be there for the communities, and uh, and we are. And uh, obviously, uh, as I said before, there's a lot of young families there that, work at the mine, but also maybe have uh, help on the farm in some way or have cattle or uh, some impact as well. So we just want to ensure that the community is strong and vibrant, and we'll do everything we can to keep that. The funding comes at a time when the federal government is committed to phase out coal power stations after 50 years of operation or by the year 2030, whichever comes first. The province says it would impact three power stations, including the Poplar River Power Station in the RM of Hart Butte, two mines, and hundreds of jobs in southern Saskatchewan. When asked about the funding being perceived as buying time to research energy alternatives, Merritt says that's not the case. No, I think this is really finding another alternative use for the coal and we can keep the mining operation going, and that's really what it's about. I haven't seen the latest number of the amount of employees that are working at the mine, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, in that 150 to 200 range, uh, that has a significant impact on the community. So that's really what this is about. Is there, uh, is there alternative uses we can find for the use of coal? Uh, you know, whether it's decarbonizing it or whatever the situation may be, that will leave that to this, uh, this feasibility study that they're now perfor- performing. And I'll leave it to the experts. 
to answer the tech side, but that's really what this is about is, is there a way that we can keep those high paying jobs in that community? The pilot project would see Vidir Energy use its technology to take lignite coal and convert it to low greenhouse gas emission products. Coronac Mayor Calvin Martin says in a news release that the Vidir project has the potential to mitigate the negative impacts of the federal mandate to close the Poplar River Power Station in 2030. Merritt notes the community asked for help from the federal government in addition to the province. They came to the province and we said we'd be there and uh, if the federal government was there. Uh, the community through a lot of hard work and I got to really commend the folks in the community did a lot of due diligence, went down to Ottawa not only once or twice but went on several occasions to try and access money for the pilot project and we said we'd be there if the federal government made a commitment of I think it was around seven or seven and a half million dollars. Well the federal government told them no. So we uh, said to the community that, uh, and Vidir, if you could uh, find the funds in which, uh, you know, they've done some due diligence on, that we would help them in the initiation of the, uh, the process and looking at the uh, capability and, and uh, the project moving forward. That's why we came to the table with the 550000 that gives them, uh, the community, the opportunity to just find out how, how good this project could be and uh, what could be the outcomes. And that's why we're at the table with them. The Saskatchewan government had previously invested $10 million to support the Estevan and Coronac areas in their transition away from coal-based industries. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 170.20 this hour. That's up 85. April live cattle trading at 174 even, up 115. January feeder cattle trading at 224.30, up 340. March feeder cattle trading at 225.47, up 330. February lean hogs trading at 71.47, down 42. April lean hogs trading at 78. 35 down 27 and that's the livestock market conditions an evaluation of GPS tracking devices conducted in rural Saskatchewan has shown that not all are created equal in an effort to improve transport biosecurity Guelph based farm health guardian in cooperation with the Saskatchewan pork development board and the Canadian Agri-Food Automation and Intelligence Network conducted a pilot project under which the performance of various GPS tracking devices was assessed under real-world conditions in rural Saskatchewan. Farm Health Guardian CEO Rob Hannum says the devices were installed in the trucks that regularly move pigs to and from the farms that volunteered to be part of the study, and three of the technologies emerged as winners. The pilot project we ran with Sask Pork uh, was really about testing technology, GPS technology in real world conditions. We all know that uh, something might work in a lab or might work in a city or an urban area, but testing it, you know, in the summer and the winter in rural <laughs> uh, Saskatchewan is quite different. So we wanted to make sure we did that uh, and gave it a good run for its money to make sure it's going to work for producers 
once we uh, start offering and selling the technology. He says it's very important to be able to track the movement of trucks. Lots of studies and researchers have shown that, and, and producers know this, that truck movement and people movement as well to some extent can be a vector that transfers disease. And so we think of it in terms of transport biosecurity, so making sure that producers have really tight procedures so that their trucks are clean uh, and, and they're not inadvertently transferring a disease from one farm to the other that they may not even know is present. Hannum says they tested many types of technology and narrowed them down to the top three. Well, we landed on three technologies that we've now approved uh, and, and are confident that they're going to work for producers uh, based on the, the research we did in the study. So thanks to Sasspork and to the, the producers that were involved and tested it out on their trucks. Uh, and where we landed on, there's, there's one device we call Passport L. It's a brake light, a GPS-powered brake light that replaces the light in the back of any livestock trailer or feed truck. It's a four-inch light, and it just works fantastic. So that was one of the winners. Uh, and we would call that a powered GPS device because the power comes from the lighting system of the truck. So it's always got power. As soon as you apply the brakes on your trailer, it's recharging the battery inside that light. And so we get really good signal um, you know, no matter where the truck is. So that works great. The second uh, technology we, we looked at was battery-powered. Not all vehicles have a four-inch brake light. Let's say manure haulers, for example. Uh, those, those trucks or wagons might ha have something different. And so we have a battery-powered device as well. That particular device is actually manufactured by BlackBerry. Uh, and, of course, they're well-known for, for data security and for reliability. And, uh, and so that one was also one of the winners. And the third device is one that's for passenger vehicles. So pickup trucks, cars, vans. And it plugs in right underneath the steering wheel, just where you'd have the, the diagnostics that your mechanic would plug into to, to check and see if the car is working. Well, that same port can be used for GPS transmission. So our Passport A device plugs right under the steering wheel. And again, it's powered, so it works quite well. Those were the three winners from the tests that, we've, that we did as part of this pilot. He outlines who was involved in the study. Well, we, st we worked with about a dozen farm properties and about 20 trucks that are, that are working in the, the swine business in Saskatchewan. And so we had feed mills uh, and we had uh, different uh, other feed companies and livestock trucks and a range of farms across the province were involved. So uh, we got it. We got a good test on it. Um, all of the data for the pilot project was, was kept confidential uh, because it was just a test each owner of the truck or owner of the farm, of course, can see their own information. And that's helpful to them to be able to check their biosecurity protocols. Um, and so that, that's how we uh, approached it was like the, the, the data from their individual vehicle is, belongs to them. Uh, and then they can use that to proactively check protocols. Or if there was a disease outbreak, they could do that trace back that a veterinarian would want to do. They can do that instantly. Hannum explains the significance of what was learned through the project. Well, the, the first thing I guess we learned is that um, when it comes to GPS devices for vehicles, they're not all created equal. We had three or four other technologies that I haven't talked about that failed our test. <laughs> so uh, they're not all created equal when you're in real life 
farm situations. And so, uh, so that was a real valuable learning. And we found some that are going to work uh, and work, work well for producers. And the, I guess the other finding was related to the software uh, that, that, you, that can display the data. So it's, we use mapping technology. Um, and what we learned, I guess, is, is that the, the maps that we generated um, that the producers could see at their own trucks, they were useful both to be proactive and also in a disease response. We kind of went into the project thinking, hey, this is great if there's a disease investigation. If we have a disease outbreak, the vets can respond much quicker with digital data that's combined into a, a platform they can use. But what we learned is it can be used proactively as well and actually uh, alert people if the biosecurity protocols aren't followed, uh, even if there isn't an outbreak, uh, just making sure they're following the rules they've set for themselves. And so we call that a biosecurity breach, and we've actually developed breach alerts uh, based on some of the findings from this project. He then goes into the recommendations for producers who will be using the technology. Yeah, the first recommendation we, we would make is transport biosecurity is extremely important. Pro- producers know that, um, but we, we just want to really reinforce it, uh, that making sure they know where their vehicles are, where they've been, and if they're following the rules they've set for themselves is, is quite important. And as our farms get bigger or as we're having you know, new drivers drive our, our trucks or equipment or we've got new employees that may not, they're just learning about the business or learning about biosecurity, sometimes the rules don't always get followed. And this, it creates a training opportunity where you'll notice in advance if something isn't followed and you'll be able to correct that and, and make sure you put the training in place and they learn from that error and don't make it a second time. So that, that's our first thing is it's time to watch this even more quick, even more closely than you have been when it comes to transport biosecurity. Uh, and that's the first, I guess, recommendation. And the second is that GPS technology can be a, a great way to do that because it not only helps you proactively you know, see these issues before they become a problem, but if there ever was an outbreak, uh, then you can respond much more quickly. Our customers report that, that they can respond within minutes which it, to, to uh, outbreaks when it would have taken them hours or days to respond. They can respond in minutes. So we're getting close to real-time response when they can use a technology like this. Hannum then explains how anyone interested can get more information. Our research report is available on our website. It's a free download. So if you go to farmhealthguardian.com and then just look for resources and there's a research report right there. It's about 20 pages and it's got all the findings and that's free to download. I would like to say thanks to the the group that helped fund it. In addition to SaskPork's cooperation, the Canadian Agri-Food Automation and Intelligence Network, CANE, uh, they've provided partial funding for the project. And so we'd like to acknowledge CANE and their, their contribution to the project and to the sector. So just go to our website, farmhealthguardian.com, and look for research report, and you can find it there. And he believes the research will be crucial to the future of the pork industry. It's an important topic, transport biosecurity. The sector does it well, but we could do even better. What I find is we do well at managing our livestock, and 
producers measure everything. They measure the feed intake. They measure the output. They measure the weight of the animals, the days, pounds of gain per day, or all kinds of different metrics. They measure um, mortality, or they measure uh, their reproductive uh, of the sows and how many piglets are born per year or per litter. So we track everything, and that helps us manage it. But we don't often track our biosecurity. And using a software tool uh, off, will help provide numbers and data on biosecurity, and that's going to help us manage it even more. So as business owners, farmers manage what they measure, and we're giving them a way to measure biosecurity so we can all get better and protect our farms and protect the sector from disease. Rob Hannum is the CEO of Farm Health Guardian. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. January canola trading at 649.90, up $4.50. March canola trading at 663.30, up $4.40. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 725 per bushel, down 5 and 3 quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 634 per bushel, down 8 and 3 quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 621 and a half, down 7 and 3 quarters of a cent. March corn trading at 477 per bushel, down 6 cents. January soybeans trading at 1324 and a half, that's up 8 and 3 quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 381 and a half, up 6 cents. And that's the commodities update. Uranium mining giant Cameco is giving back to communities there in this holiday season. CEO Tim Gitzel says $1.8 million is earmarked for community organizations across Saskatchewan. About 700,000 of that came from our Step Up for Mental Health, where we had, I think, 7,000 people this year out uh, pounding the Saskatoon streets on that one. And so <laughs> that was uh, for 700,000. We had another 700,000 through our employee giving campaign where Employees uh, step up and give of uh, their time and their resources. That's where the bulk of it came from. Uh, a lot of it came from Cameco as well. So we're so uh, grateful to live in this great community and we just mm-hmm. want to give back. Gitzel says mental health is a big focus for their company. We just know the need out there for mental health. We see it everywhere in our families, in our workplaces. And and so uh, mental health will get a, a good chunk of it uh, Then for our employee giving campaign, they get to choose which uh, charities they want uh, their donations to go to. So you might have seen a number, uh, around 200 charities will benefit from that. Then we gave a quarter of a million dollars to the YWCA, Carabar and the team over there. They're uh, expanding their facilities, such a Mm -hmm. great need for that. And and then 150,000 to the Mewawson Trail. So we're, we're trying to spread it around a bit. And he says they're proud to be able to give back. We, we live in this great community. Uh, a lot of us were kind of born and raised around here, and we're very fortunate we get to work for a, a good company. And, and that company, uh, Cameco, uh, you know, the, our employees want to give back. Mm-hmm. And so, like I say, you can, you can just write checks. Uh, we don't do that. Our employees like to roll up their sleeves. 
and get involved in the, in the community. We just ask them to make a difference, make a difference every day, however you can. And, and so we're doing that. Tim Gitzel is the CEO of Cameco. They're donating $1.8 million to community organizations around Saskatchewan. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. Making connections is a key theme of an upcoming farm conference. Vice Chair of Sask Young Ag, Carly Bodich, says they're getting ready for their Proudly Ag Conference in Saskatoon on February 1st. So we start the day with two panels consisting of young Saskatchewan agriculturalists talking about their experience. The first panel will be on transition planning and the second one will be um, a group of young ag influencers. And then the afternoon consists of two big name speakers, both Farm Babe and Quick Dick McDick will be joining us for the afternoon. Bodich says Sask Young Ag does a great job of bringing a lot of knowledge to the room. Not only do we bring great speakers, but we also bring in farmers, ranchers, accountants, bankers, and agronomists all in similar places in their career with similar drive and passion for the industry. And it's just a great place to make those connections that you you never know what opportunity that might present. She believes they have a unique perspective on transition or succession planning. I think we hear a lot of transition planning from transition specialists or um, people in the industry that are giving guidance on that transition. And we are going to have people that have experienced transition themselves. So they would be the junior partner stepping into the decision-making role. And we have one from a business and a couple from a farming and ranching background. So they'll be speaking on their pers- their perspective from taking on that next step in their operation. Getting involved on a board is another panel discussion planned. So it's talking about being on board. Maybe maybe it's a commodity board. Uh, maybe you're going to run for Reeve in your RM. Uh, really encouraging people under the age of 40 to get out there and get involved. Um, there's lots going on in the world, and we can only make a difference if we know what's going on and get involved. So we're going to hear from people in Saskatchewan that are out there making a difference and, and see how it's made an impact on them and our industry. And, of course, registration is required to be there. The links will be shared on all our social media pages, but you can also visit our website. Uh, Registration is open now for members only at an early bird price of $150 until December 31st. And after December 31st, the member price increases to $200, non-member $240. And then new this year, we do have a student price. So students can register for the conference for just $100 this year. And she says feedback has been good. Almost everyone who attends one comes back to another one. So I would say people really find that it's worth their time and worth traveling in. We do serve all of Saskatchewan, even though our event is in in Saskatoon. So I would encourage people to, to make the jaunt and come see what it's all about. Last year's event had 100 people attend, a mix of producers and people in other aspects of the ag industry. The Sask Wheat Annual General Meeting is going to be held in Saskatoon at the Western Development Museum for 2024. Producers and observers may register to attend the AGM in person or online. 
a registered wheat producer who is a producer who has paid a checkoff to Sask Wheat in one or more of the previous two crop years and has not requested a refund in the most recent year a checkoff was paid, is eligible to vote on motions and introduce and second resolutions. Voting will be available for those attending online and in person. Producers and industry representatives from private and government organizations may attend any AGM as observers. So that Sask Wheat Development Commission AGM is coming up on January 9th, 2024 at the Western Development Museum in Saskatoon. It'll run from 9 until 11 in the morning. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today, partly sunny, winds south-southwest at 15 to 25, and a high of zero. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 8. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds north-northeast at 10 to 20, a high of minus 3, an overnight low of minus 9. For Wednesday, partly sunny, with a 30% chance of a few flurries, a high of minus 4. For Thursday, sunny, a high of minus 1. And Friday, mainly sunny, a high of plus 2. In the Paw and Dauphin, it's minus 5 degrees. Swan River is at minus 4. Brandon, minus 10. Show Lake Russell, minus 9. Roblin, minus 7. Regina is at minus 5. Saskatoon, Indian Head, minus 6. Hudson Bay, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 3. Broadview Mooseman, minus 4. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a south wind at 21, gusting to 35 kilometers per hour. 72% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 5 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 12 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.